Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let us go now to the New Testament reading, Ephesians 5, 18 through 6, 9. Here, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, Out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. In this sermon, we will be considering the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which is honor your father and your mother. In the Ten Commandments, we find God's moral law. Remember, when we speak of the moral law, we are not talking about the laws of nations or of states which identify civil crimes and their punishments. Uh, No, the moral law is related, but it is something different. The moral law 
governs all men in all times and places. It is universal and timeless. The moral law tells us what is right and wrong, what is good and evil in a general way. All have access to this law, for it is the law of nature. It was written on man's heart at creation, and the natural order of things does also reveal this law. It was this natural law that was written on Adam's heart at creation, and then revealed with greater clarity and specificity in the Ten Commandments, which God gave Israel at Sinai. The moral law is not the invention of men, but it is from God. As I have said, the Ten Commandments are the summary of God's moral law. And I will remind you also of this. These Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The moral instructions in the first part have to do with man's relationship to God, whereas the moral instructions in the second part have to do with man's relationship to his fellow man. These two parts of the moral law are summarized by the two great commandments, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As we begin now to explore the second part of the Ten Commandments with the command to honor your father and mother, I cannot help but stress how important it is to not forget the first part of the Ten Commandments, which has to do with the worship of God. As I was preparing this sermon, I began to wonder how many people think of themselves as being good, moral, and upright because they keep commandments 5 through 10, at least in a superficial way, while neglecting commandments 1 through 4. Are you with me? I wonder how many people in this world think of themselves as being good people, morally upright because they keep commandments 5 through 10, at least in a superficial way, while neglecting commandments 1 through 4. Stated differently, I wonder how many think of themselves as good, virtuous, and upright because they honor their parents, because they don't murder, cheat, steal, lie, or covet. And I will grant them this, if indeed they honor their parents and do not murder, cheat, steal, lie, or covet, then there is a sense in which they can be called, quote-unquote, good people. I'd much prefer to live next to a person like this than next to someone who is immoral through and through, and I think you'd agree with this. But it would be a grave mistake to assume that you are good before God, good in an ultimate sense because of your superficial keeping of the second table of God's law. There are many reasons for this. I'll mention three. One, the law of God is not to be kept in a superficial way, but from the heart. Christ Himself made this clear when He taught that lust is adultery in the heart, and that hatred is murder in the heart. Lust is not the same as adultery. The latter is worse than the former. And obviously murder is a much more heinous sin than hatred. But lust and hatred in the heart are violations of God's law too. If when you look at the second table of God's law, you think, well, I've kept that, then you're terribly mistaken. Even if we have not violated these commands in deed, in action, we have violated them in thought or in word, and thus we stand guilty before God, if not in Christ. Two, the law of God must be kept perfectly and perpetually if we are to be right before God. 
Here I am saying that just one violation of God's law makes us guilty before God. I'm willing to admit that some people may be called good people, generally speaking. Yes, by God's common grace, there are some people who are, in general, very respectful to their parents, for example. My children are like this, in fact. If you were to ask me, are your children respectful? I would say, yes, they're very respectful. They're good kids, you see. I think that is a true statement. They're good kids. Thanks be to God. But by that, I do not mean to suggest that they are in themselves innocent before God as it pertains to the fifth commandment. You're following with me, I'm sure. The law of God must be kept perfectly and perpetually if we are to be right before God through law keeping. And no one can do this. No man, with the exception of one, has ever kept God's law perfectly and perpetually all the days of their life. Three, it would be a grave mistake to assume that you are good before God in and of yourself because of your keeping of the second table of the law. Here I am stressing that the second table of the law is the second table of the law, and for it to be the second table of the law, there must be a first table of the law. And there is. What does that first table of the law have to do with? It has to do with the worship of God. It has to do with our relationship to Him. And so, here I am saying that if we are to be right before God, if we are to be good with Him, not only must we keep the second table of the law, but first we must keep the first table of the law. We must worship and serve God alone. We must live for His glory. We must worship Him in the way that He has prescribed. I'm afraid that there are many people in this world who think of themselves as morally upright because they honor their parents and do not murder, cheat, steal, lie, or covet. But even if we were to set aside the points that have already been made regarding the problem of the superficial and inconsistent keeping of God's law, we cannot forget about the priority that God gives to the worship of His name. If you are seeking to be right before God through your obedience to His moral law, that is, if you think you can be good before God because of your moral living, do not forget that before God said, you shall honor your father and mother, He said, you shall have no other gods before Me, and make no idols, and... Do not take my name in vain and honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In other words, I'm afraid that many people think of themselves as good before God because they are nice to other people. They're good citizens. They're good neighbors. They are, quote-unquote, good people, while not realizing that they have fallen short of the second table of the law, but before they have done that, they have fallen short of the first. They have failed to give glory, honor, and praise to the God who made them the God who sustains them. And friends, I want you to see that to live in God's world and to fail to worship and serve Him as God is a terrible sin, and it is great folly. Your sin before God is very great if you fail to worship God in the way He has prescribed. This is true even if you are a very nice person, you see. The Scriptures are clear. That which does not proceed from faith is not pleasing to God. You may see this in Hebrews 11:4 through 6. This even includes our good deeds. Have you ever thought about that? There are people in this world who do lots of good deeds, but if those good deeds do not proceed from faith, then they are not pleasing to God. We may still call them good deeds, but they are only good deeds to a certain extent. They are not proceeding from a heart of faith so that they are not 
pleasing to God. That which is not done to the glory of God is sin. For it must be that the deed was done to the glory of some created thing, and God will not share the glory that is due to Him with another. I have one last introductory point to make before getting on to the fifth commandment. While it is true that there are many who live in this world who think of themselves as morally upright because they approach the second table of God's law in a superficial way, but neglect the first table of God's law. It is also true that there are many who think of themselves as religious, who approach the first table of the law in a superficial way, while neglecting the second table of the law of God. I, I do wonder if you're following me here. I feel as if I've not been clear. But do you see that this is a particular problem for people who are religious? Religious people might take pride in the fact that they worship God. They might think of themselves as being superior because they worship God. But religious people uh, are, are prone to make this error. They are prone to be superficial in their worship of God, in their obedience to the first table of the law. And I do believe that religious people are also prone to neglect the second table of the law of God, which has to do with the love of neighbor. This error is not uncommon amongst those who are religious. And in fact, many of the Pharisees who lived in Jesus' day were like this. They worshipped God superficially. They went through the motions, but did not love God from the heart. Christ was very critical of this, wasn't He? And also they were guilty of this. They neglected the second table of the law. These were the religious people of the day. They, they worshipped God superficially, while neglecting to love their neighbor as themselves. And listen to how Jesus spoke to them, as recorded in Matthew 23, 23 and following, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Though you ought to have done, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You can hear Christ's critique of the religious man, the religious woman who worships God in a superficial way while neglecting to love their neighbor. Brothers and sisters, as we continue now in our consideration of the Ten Commandments, I pray that God would give us the ability to know His law, to properly understand its uses, that He would make us to know what His law requires and forbids, and that He would also make us willing and able to obey His law, not in a superficial or partial way, but truly and from the heart, a heart renewed by Christ and by the Spirit. I pray that the Lord would give us the ability to obey His law in this way. And here I am saying we are to obey both tables of the law of God. The law that has to do with the love of God and the law that has to do 
with the love of neighbor. Let us be sure that we do not neglect either of these. And as we turn now to the second table of the law, may we be especially careful to love one another. You know, there's a danger in preaching the law. It's so easy to misunderstand how the law is to be used and to fall into the air of legalism. Many have fallen into this air throughout the history of the church. By the way, that is why the introductions to these sermons on the Ten Commandments have been so long. Before I teach you about what each commandment requires and forbids, I wish to ensure that we do not use the law in a legalistic way, or to use the law in accordance with the truth of the gospel. I want to be sure that we do this, that we use the law properly, that we use it in accordance with the truth of the gospel. So to be sure that we do not fall into this error, let me ask you, can any mere man be made right with God through law-keeping now that Adam has fallen into sin and the whole human race with him? We should say, no, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are under God's just condemnation. We cannot be made right with God through law-keeping. That way to life eternal has been closed off ever since Adam's fall into sin. I may ask you another question. Is there any hope then? Is there any hope for us to be saved, to enter into life eternal? Is there a way for man to be right with God? Answer, yes, there is hope, for God is gracious and kind. He has provided a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. He lived a sinless life for sinners. He suffered for sinners, and He died and rose again for sinners. Indeed, all who turn from their sins and place their faith in Him will be saved. Their sins are washed away. Christ's righteousness is given to them. They are, by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, justified before God. All of this is a free gift that cannot be earned, but only received. Now, I ask, how shall those who have been united to Christ by faith and washed in His blood live? Answer, in obedience to God's moral law. Those united to Christ by faith are to walk worthy. And what does this mean? They are to live in obedience to God's commandments. They are to love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might, Deuteronomy 6.5. And they are to love their neighbor as themselves. And what should our motivation for law-keeping be? What should motivate us to keep God's moral law? Answer, we are to keep God's moral law Not because we are afraid that we might come under God's condemnation, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but because we love Him and we are grateful for what Christ has done for us. This should be our motivation. Our love for God should move us to live in obedience to Him. Our love for Christ should move us to live in obedience to Him. This sense of gratitude that we have within us for this gift that has been given to us, should move us to obey God in all things. Christ Himself said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Do you see the connection there between love and keeping Christ's commandments? If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. John put it this way, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word... In Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which Christ walked. The law and the gospel are not contrary to one another, brothers and sisters. No, if they are properly understood, they sweetly comply with each other. And so let us be 
beware of legalism, friends, but let us also beware of the antinomian error. That is, the error of thinking that because we are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone, then God's law does not apply to the Christian. This is not so. For the law of God is good, provided that we use it in the right way. To put the matter very bluntly, Christian, you ought to have the Ten Commandments memorized. You ought to be deeply concerned about living in obedience to them from the heart and in thought, word, and deed. When you pray the Lord's Prayer daily, and when you come to the petition, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You should be praying that God would strengthen you to obey His law. This prayer should be prayed daily. And when we come to this portion about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, we should think, Lord, enable me to live in obedience to Your revealed will. The angels in heaven, the ones that did not fall, the elect angels, what do they do daily, day and night except worship and serve the Creator faithfully. In heaven, God's will is done. In heaven, God is obeyed. And when we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, Lord, by Your grace, enable us to be like that. Enable us to live in perpetual obedience to You. May I obey Your law day after day. Beyond that, we are also praying that God would enable us to submit to His secret and hidden will that we would live in submission to Him and say, not my will, but Your will be done. So with that as an introduction, we come now to the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which is, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. First, notice the promise attached to the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment itself is, Honor your father and your mother. And the promise that God attached to it is this, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You can see that this promise was unique to Old Covenant Israel. God had promised to give them the land of Canaan. This He would do. But do not forget that this covenant that God made with Israel in the days of Moses was a covenant of works. Israel's blessing in the land and their remaining in the land was conditioned upon their obedience to God's law. If they obeyed, they would be blessed in the land. If they disobeyed, they would be cursed in the land. Indeed, God would eventually eject Israel from the land because of their perpetual disobedience to their violation of the terms of the covenant. So this promise was originally given to Israel, Honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. This was a reference to Canaan, the the promised land, the holy land of Israel. Honor your father and mother, and if you do, this will be the result. You will live long in this land. You will be blessed in this land. I wonder if you noticed how Paul the Apostle applied the promise of the fifth commandment to the new covenant people of God. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, he addressed the children. By the way, this means that the children were present in the church, just as they are here, and I do love that. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Ephesus, and one of the things he did in that letter was address the children. Children, what did he say to them? He said, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
And then he quotes the fifth commandment, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And then he remarks, This is the first commandment with a promise. So of all the Ten Commandments, this is the first one that has a promise attached to it. And he quotes the promise, That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In fact, Paul alters this promise slightly so that it fits the New Covenant context. Let me read again what Paul said in Ephesians 1, or 6, 1-3. That it may go well with you, and that you may live in the land. What did he remove? In the original, as the Lord spoke this promise to the people of Israel, in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. It was a specific reference to Canaan. What does Paul do? He says, this principle still applies to the new covenant people of God. Do we have a land of our own, brothers and sisters? Uh, No, not as it pertains to the history of redemption. We live in in the United States of America, but other Christians live elsewhere. There is no holy land on earth for the new covenant people of God. None at all. We live on the earth, but here Paul is saying this principle still applies. Children, if you will obey your parents, if you will honor them in obedience to the fifth commandment, the Lord will bless you in life, generally speaking. That is the application that he makes. That you may that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, Paul says. Honor your father and your mother. Do not neglect this commandment. So then, the promise attached to the fifth commandment is that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. That promise was specifically for Old Covenant Israel, but it has application for us today. The fifth commandment itself is honor your father and your mother. So if I were to ask you, what is the fifth commandment? Uh, you would get the answer right if you were to say, honor your father and your mother. It's nice and brief, not difficult to memorize. I want for you to notice now that this commandment is the first commandment of the second table of the moral law. Why is it the first? It is the first because it is most foundational. As it pertains to the way that we are to relate to one another, this commandment is the most foundational of all. We must start here. If we wish to relate to others correctly, in in a good and and moral way, we must begin here with the command, Honor your father and your mother. If you wish to know how God is to be worshipped and served, where should you start? Answer, with the first commandment of the first table of the law. You're to start there. You're to start with the command that says, You shall have no other gods before me. This was what Yahweh said. You shall have no other gods before me. If you wish to be right before God as it pertains to your relationship to Him and to the worship of His name, you must start here with this most foundational principle. You shall have no other gods before Yahweh. And if we wish to know how we are to relate to our fellow human beings in an upright way, where should we start? We should start with the first commandment of the second table of the moral law, which is honor your father and your mother. To honor someone is to show them proper respect. That's what it means to honor someone. There is a certain kind of respect that is owed to God. God alone is to be honored as God. And really that is what the first commandment is all about, isn't it? When God says you shall have no other gods before me, it means you are to honor me as God and none other. That is the essence of the the first commandment. So, There is a certain kind of respect that is owed to God. And here I want for you to see that there is a certain kind of respect that is owed to our fellow human beings. And it all begins here 
with the first commandment of the second table of the law, honor your father and your mother. In just a moment, I'm going to tell you that the fifth commandment is about way more than little kids obeying their parents. I know that's the first thing that comes to your mind, you know. What does the first commandment require? The very first thing that comes to our minds is this. The first commandment requires little children to obey their parents. And it does require that, but it requires so much more. To quote now our catechism, the fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their various places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Our our catechism is, is, is correct. That's what this commandment requires. It's about so much more than little children obeying their parents. The fifth commandment properly understood and fleshed out requires honor to be shown to all people in a way that fits their particular position in life. We will get to that in just a moment. But here my question is, why did God communicate that broad moral principle by saying, honor your father and mother specifically? Are you following me? Could God not have just said, honor everyone in a way that fits their position in life? Why did He specifically say, honor your father and your mother? Why is this set forth as the the foundational moral commandment? Why is this set forth as the core commandment as it pertains to this moral principle. Why did he not just say, show proper honor to everyone? I think this is a very important question to ask. By specifically saying, honor your father and mother, God not only communicated the general moral principle that honor is to be shown to all men and women in a way that fits their station in life, he did also show where this honor is to begin and where it is to be learned, namely in the family. Who are the very first people that we are to show honor to as human beings? When we're brought into this world, through the process of procreation, who are the very first people that we are to show honor to? We're to honor our parents. And where is it that we are to learn to show appropriate respect to all people in their various positions in life, whether high or low? Where are we to learn that? We're to learn this in the family where children are taught to honor their parents, and where parents honor their children, where brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers honor one another. It's within the family that this moral principle is first applied, and it is in the family where this moral principle is also learned. At this point, you might be thinking of the condition of our culture. At this point, you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, if this is true then it is no wonder then that men and women dishonor one another so terribly in the world today and in our culture. Because what we have witnessed in our culture is the degradation of the family in the past couple of generations. We've witnessed the degradation of the family, the breakup of the family, the distortion of what it means to be a family. Our our culture is so very perverse in this way. And it is no wonder then That men and women, having grown old now, do not know how to show proper honor and respect to others, whether they hold high positions or low positions. The reason this commandment is stated in this way, honor your father and mother, is because here is where we learn to honor others. It's in the family. 
This is the first place that it's to be done. This is where it is to be learned. We are to learn to to treat others with respect and with proper honor within the home. Parents, it is very important that you teach your children the fifth commandment. Have them memorize it. Not only must they learn what it is, they must also learn in the home how to obey it. They must learn to show you proper respect. This will be good for them. This will be good for the family. This will also be good for society for generations to come. And children, it is very important that you know and obey the fifth commandment. You must honor and respect your parents. You must do it. It is so very important. It's such a basic thing. Really, it's such a simple thing, but it's a vital thing. It's so important for you to show honor to your parents. This means that you must obey them unless they are commanding you to disobey God, which no Christian parent ever would do. But it means more than that. It it does not just mean that you are to obey your parents. God does not only call you to obey your parents, He calls you to honor them. I wonder if you could see that these two things are related, but they're not the same. It's possible to obey your parents, but to not honor them. You know, when a child is told to do something, a chore, let's say, it may be that the child immediately goes off and does the chore. So there's obedience, you see. But if the child goes off to do the chore and they stomp around and they huff and they puff and they just have a sour attitude about them, have they honored their parents? No, they have not honored their parents in that moment. They've obeyed their parents, but they have not shown their parents honor. They've obeyed their parents while dishonoring them, you see. But that is not what this commandment requires. This commandment is calling us to honor our parents. And so children, you you must learn to do this. It will be good for you, it will be good for the home, and it will be good for this world, for society, for generations to come if you will learn to do this. More important than all of that, if you do this, if you obey your parents and honor them in the Lord, you will give glory to God. You will do something that is pleasing to God so long as you are in Christ Jesus, united to Him by faith. And so parents, teach your children to honor you. Teach them to show you proper respect. And children, honor your parents. Do this when you are young, and do this also as you and they grow old. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother, and that's simple enough. But now we ask, what does this commandment truly require and forbid when the implications of it are fleshed out? Again, question 69 of our catechism rightly says that the fifth commandment requires us to preserve the honor and perform the duties belonging to everyone in their various places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. That is dead on. It is such a beautiful response to the question, what does the fifth commandment require? Question 70 of our catechism asks, what does the fifth commandment forbid? And it says, the fifth commandment forbids the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongs to everyone in their various places and relations. Listen, brothers and sisters, God's moral law requires us to show honor to all people. That is what it requires. We, 
are to show honor to all people. Children are to honor their parents, but please hear me and think deeply about this later, please. Parents are to show honor to their children. It's a different kind of honor, isn't it? Parents are to show a certain kind of honor to the children, and children are to show a certain kind of honor to their parents. What makes the difference? It has to do with authority, doesn't it? Parents have authority in the home, and so they are to be shown a particular kind of honor that corresponds to the authority that they have. But this does not mean that children are allowed to be dishonored. No, parents are to honor children too. They're to be honored as, to use the phrase here that's applied to wives in another play, the weaker vessel, you see. They're to be honored as the ones who've been called to submit to the authority of parents within the home. Uh, ch- children have a certain, a certain kind of vulnerability to them, don't they? They're, they're in a vulnerable place. And that, that vulnerability is never to be exploited. It's never to be abused. It's to be honored. And so the fifth commandment does not only require that children honor parents, but that parents honor children as well. Likewise, wives are to honor their husbands. But please hear me. Husbands are also to honor their wives. The scriptures say so explicitly. It's funny how that gets neglected sometimes, you know. The scriptures say so when they command the husbands to love their wives. To, to love, for a husband to love his wife means that the husband is going to honor his wife. And in another place, the scriptures explicitly say, Husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel within the home, you see. And so it goes both ways. Yes, there is a certain kind of authority that belongs to the husband within the home. God has called the man to do that, to lead in the home and to look out for the home, to provide for the home physically, spiritually. Yes, that is all true. But there's a kind of honor that is to be shown from the wife to the husband and from the husband to the wife. And the very same thing can be said for every human relationship in the world. Every human relationship in the world is to follow this pattern. Honor is to be shown to all men, no matter their station in life. Honor is to be shown by citizens to those who govern, and by those who govern to their citizens. Employees are to honor their employers, and employers are to honor their employees. Those who are young are to honor those who are old, and those who are old are to honor the young. Church members are to honor their pastors, and pastors are to honor church members. And yes, there is a special kind of honor that is to be shown, to those with age and with authority. But do not forget this, there is also a special kind of honor that is to be shown to those who hold lower positions in any given sphere. I want you to listen to these verses to see what I mean. Leviticus 19.32 says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. What does that mean? Those who are young are to show honor and respect to those who are older than them. And in doing so, we in fact honor the Lord. 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone, Peter says. There it is. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So in one little verse, all of this is communicated. Honor is to be shown to everyone. We're to do this by loving one another. We're to do this out of the fear of God. 
And we're to honor the emperor. So there is a special kind of honor that's to be given to those who have authority in the world. Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. So a special kind of honor is to be shown to authorities. Ephesians 5.21, this text commands us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before Paul gets to the business of instructing husbands and wives in that passage that we read earlier, he gives this general command. He tells the church, everyone in it, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you are to submit to me as a brother in the Lord, and I am to submit to you. That is the general thing that is commanded before Paul gets on with the specifics. And in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, he says, Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen to Colossians 3, 19-22. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, he says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Ephesians 6.5 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. But listen to Paul's words to the masters. He says, do the same to them, referring to the bond servants. Isn't that interesting? Do the same to them. Show them respect. He's not here commanding that masters obey their bond servants, but he's, he's commanding that masters show the same kind of respect to their bond servants because indeed they are image bearers of God too. They're to do so with the fear of God in their hearts, with fear and trembling. He says to masters, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And finally, I'll read Romans 12.10, where Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. He's speaking to the church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's funny how men and women will sometimes try to outdo one another in other things, you know. Try to outdo one another as it pertains to winning an argument. Human beings try to outdo one another when it comes to... um, accomplishments or with gathering possessions, you know, that competitive nature within us can sometimes be so carnal and so evil. Paul says, go ahead, be competitive, you know, be competitive. Try to outdo one another, do it. Try to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. You see, to love our neighbor as ourself, that is the That is the command out of which all of these other commands are rooted, you see. It starts here with the command to honor your father and mother and with the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Brothers and sisters, by way of conclusion, here are some suggestions for application. I would like for you to imagine what the world would be like if men and women were to simply obey the fifth commandment. Spend some time thinking about that later. What would the world be like if men and women would simply obey the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and they were to tease out the implications of that, that honor is to be shown to all people in their various positions. Imagine what the world would be like if men and women, rich and poor, powerful and weak, young and old, male and female, were to show true honor to one another 
in a way that fits their position in life. Imagine how wonderful this world would be. If this commandment were kept, there would be no violence, there would be no abuse, there would be no manipulation, there would be no lying or stealing or cheating. Indeed, there would be no wars or rumors of wars. Imagine how wonderful this world would be if this one commandment were kept. The world is not like this, though. For men and women are fallen and sinful. Indeed, we live in a world where the strong oppress the weak, and the weak rebel against the strong. In this world, those who are rich defraud the poor, and the poor despise the rich. Husbands abuse wives, and wives dishonor their husbands. Children rebel against their parents, and parents respond with harshness. This world is plagued by sin. And what is sin except any want of conformity unto or violation of God's law? This world is plagued by sin. The wages of sin is death. But the church must be different. The church must be different. For we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, We have been set free from bondage to sin. We've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. In our homes, children should honor their parents and parents their children. Husbands and wives should honor one another. And in the Christian community, we are to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Christ has called us to this and He has also made us able to do this because He has forgiven us of our sins, because He has released us from the domain of darkness, we've been set free, and He has renewed us by His Word and Spirit. We ought to expect that the church is going to be different. The church is going to be a community in which this law, all of God's law, but this law in particular is going to be kept. We are going to strive to outdo one another in showing honor. We're called to it, and Christ has enabled us to do it. He has given us all that we need to live in obedience to Him. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters. In the church, we have a foretaste of heaven. That point was emphasized last Sunday, wasn't it? In the church, when we gather together, we have a foretaste of heaven as it pertains to our worship. Right? As it pertains to our worship, we have a foretaste of heaven. We come into God's presence when we gather together in the Lord's name on the Lord's day. We worship Him through song, just as the angels do in heaven. We're kind of caught up in that, right? We, We have a foretaste of heaven on earth now when we gather together for worship. But here I wish to stress this. In the church, we also have a foretaste of heaven as it pertains to our life together. In the church, we are to love one another. In the church, we are to honor one another in this world. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the Word of God says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He is in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. That is John 4, 7-16. through 16. Do you hear what John is saying here? He's speaking to the church, and he's saying that, that God has loved us, He has redeemed us, He has rescued us, He has delivered us, He has renewed us. And what is the evidence of all of that except this? Our love for God and our love for one another. If we know God truly, if we have been saved, then this is what will be manifest amongst us. Our love for God, we are going to worship and serve Him as God. We are going to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are going to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the new heavens and earth, all men will love God perfectly, And they will also love one another perfectly and perpetually. I just asked you to imagine what the world would be like if this one commandment were kept. We imagine that now in the new heavens and new earth we will experience it. In the new heavens and new earth, men will love God perfectly and they will also love one another perfectly. And this is what makes heaven heaven. It is not the metaphorical streets of gold that makes heaven heaven, brothers and sisters. God is what makes heaven heaven. In the new heavens and new earth, God's glory will fill all. And how will we relate to Him? Will we rebel against Him as Adam did in the new heavens and new earth? Will we rebel against God? Will we withhold from Him the worship that is due to His name? No, we will freely give it. For in the new heavens and new earth, we will be confirmed in righteousness. We will love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, perfectly and perpetually. I want you to think about that. Meditate upon that. That is what will make heaven heaven. We will worship God perfectly and perpetually, and we will enjoy His presence forever. Not only that, but we will relate to one another according to the law of God too. For there we will be confirmed in righteousness. There we will perfectly and perpetually love our neighbor as ourselves. In the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more sin. No longer will men and women dishonor God or one another in thought, word, and deed. I've said this is about application, and it is. I think, brothers and sisters, we are to long for that day. We are to live for that day. We're to be sure that we are found in Christ, so that indeed we enter into the new heavens and new earth, having been united to Him by faith. But as we are sojourning now, As we are sojourning now, we must be faithful to live in obedience to our God so that as the church, we do in fact have a foretaste of what is to come. And as the church, as we have that foretaste of what is to come, we also function as a light to the world, do we not? And I do pray that we will have an effect upon the world too. That we will have an effect upon our society to uphold and to promote obedience to God's moral law here in this place. But this is about so much more. This is about living for the glory of God. This is about living as God has called us to with one another, brothers and sisters, as we sojourn here and prepare ourselves for the life to come. May we love one another with brotherly affection. May we outdo one another in showing honor. Lord, help us. And all of God's people say, Amen. Let's, stand, let's pray together now before we sing again. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your moral law which shows us the way that we should go. We thank you also for the way it drives us to Christ. We pray that you would help us to obey it, O God. Help us to obey it no matter what our our position in life is. 
in every sphere of life. Help us to honor one another according to your law, for our good and for the glory of your name. And all of God's people say, Amen.